0: Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church in Wellston, Oklahoma, featuring the weekly teaching and preaching ministry of the church. We are grateful that you are choosing to join us today. Our prayer is that you are blessed by today's study of God's Word, and your heart will be receptive to what God desires to teach you today. For more information about FBC Wilson, please visit our website at fbcwellston.org. We hope you enjoyed today's service, and we look forward to studying God's Word with you today. And it's good to see each and every one of you here this morning. Hope you have a Bible with you this morning. And that you'll open it up to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. And if you came in and you got one of these bulletins, on the back of that there'll be some notes that will guide our time through the word this morning. So I hope that you will join me, join us in Mark chapter 1. Thank you Greg, and those who serve with you in leading us in worship. And uh, we are grateful to be gathered again back in the Lord's house this morning. Mark chapter 1, I'm going to begin reading in verse 16 and read down through verse 20. If you would follow along in your copy of God's word as I read aloud out of mine. Mark writes and he says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee. Him, I pray that God adds understanding and application to his word this morning. We as a people here in 2023, we are a people that are continually marked by time. Many of you will have a watch on your wrist or you'll have some type of timepiece in your pocket. We are a people that are dictated and directed by the date on the calendar and the time of the day. Even before the service started, there's a countdown clock that counts down to the time of when things begin. And the tendency or the thought may be coming into the Gospel of Mark that we think that Mark is going to give us a chronological lay of the life of Jesus. And so sometimes when we come to the Gospel of Mark or to any book for that matter, we start to think of it in the term of dates or time or minutes or hours. But, what Bart does here in this Gospel that we've seen and we will continue to see, is that he is showing us pictures. He is showing us, moments. He is showing us events and he's going to take these different events. He's going to take these different moments and he's going to weave them into a composite picture of who Christ is and what Christ has done. And so the goal is not to say this happened at nine o'clock and this happened at nine fifteen, and this happened at nine thirty. Rather he is touching on the big highlights to weave together a picture of this is who Jesus is. And so if you look there at the very beginning of the gospel according to mark it may say something like the gospel according to mark or maybe your bible says something else and so what mark is doing is he is wanting to say i am not giving you a play by play minute by minute minute by minute account of the life of jesus rather i am giving you the moments the pictures the pieces that all point to that jesus is the good news So we've seen this in the last weeks, and hopefully you will see with me again this morning. And so Mark begins the gospel by by highlighting John the Baptist and his ministry. And remember when John came on the scene, what is he proclaiming? He's proclaiming the King, the Messiah, Jesus. He is coming. And then Jesus shows up in the flesh, and he submits to the baptism there at John. And through that, we saw that Mark is reminding us and showing us that he is God's Son. And, then, and then last week, looking at the temptation and even looking at Jesus beginning in that earthly ministry in verses 14 and 15, we're reminded that Jesus he's even saying about himself, I am here. And then this morning, as we get into verse 16 down through verse 20, Mark gives us another picture. He gives us another piece of the puzzle. And I've entitled it this morning. You see that at the top of your notes. He is calling. Now there's a hindrance that we have in the Western culture. There's a a hindrance that you and I have in the room this morning because we don't have the same Jewish tradition. We don't have the same Jewish culture. We don't have the same timeline to be able to think about it and the idea of what that means when we say Jesus is calling in that day that Jesus lived and in that New Testament type tradition especially in the Jewish tradition you have the rabbis. The rabbis were the spiritual teachers, the rabbis were the biblical teachers and the rabbis would go around and you would have a rabbi that would be recognized, that would be known and there would be other Jewish men that would say I want to learn from that person I want to be taught by that person and so these Jewish men would then go and they would attach themselves to the rabbis. They would go to the rabbi and they would say please may we follow you. Please may we be taught by you. And so there was a whole group, a whole classification of rabbis and that they would have these Jewish men coming to them asking to be taught by them, asking to be mentored by them. In fact, see an example of this in Acts in in chapter 22 and verse 3 when Paul is giving the account of his credentials and who he is. He even says, I was trained by the rabbi. Now he's mispronounced it. Gamaliel. I was trained by this guy. This is my pedigree. This is my resume. So the very idea that then Christ comes upon the scene in Mark chapter 1 and verse 16 and he is calling the person would be a complete mind blow for the Jewish reader or for the New Testament person. This was something unheard of. This was something unpracticed. This is something that I can tell by the look on your faces, you don't fully understand the gravity of the idea that Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, is coming to people. But that is what he does in Mark chapter 1 and 16. And so the way he comes and the way he issues the call, I I, I just want to emphasize and I want to just draw out for us this morning, out of the Word, just three different ways that we see this call of Christ come. Because Here's what we do. I shouldn't say here's what we. I should say this is what I do and you might be able to relate. I get over it. The idea that God loves me, it's like, yeah, I got that. I know that intellectually. God sent his son to die for me. I know that. Jesus made it possible so that I can be reconciled to God. I know that. I have eternity in heaven secured because of the blood of Christ on my behalf and because God counts me as righteous because of what his son has done for me. I get that. But I am not always swinging from the rafters, jumping for joy, excited about that. Why? Why? I think sometimes it's just because we take it for granted. So the challenge that we have this morning is to come back into Mark chapter 1 and to just to think about it with the lens of these four men. Now you'll see a parallel passage to this. What we're going to see out of Mark chapter 1, you see it in Matthew chapter 4. You see it in Luke chapter 5. You see it in John chapter 1. And you go to those other gospels and you see the parallel passages and maybe it's defined a little bit differently. Maybe it's explained a little differently. But it's the idea. And, and I can tell I can tell you along with me. It's just kind of like uh, who, who whoop-dee-doo. We miss The importance and we miss the excitement that you have. God in the flesh goes to four men and says, I want you to come with me. So notice how Christ does this, He does it in the present, He does it in the present. If you look up there at verse 16 that I've already read into our hearing, it talks about it in the present tense. Jesus is passing along the side of the Sea of Galilee. He sees Simon and Andrew. He sees these two men and it's all in the present tense. And when he comes to them, he comes to them in the present tense in the moment and he doesn't say, hey guys, I've got an idea. Let me pitch it to you. Hey guys, I got a suggestion. Why don't you think about it? Hey guys, I got an idea that you might consider and come back to me. Hey, can we set up an appointment to talk? No, Jesus comes upon the scene and he calls them to follow him when right now. The command, the call, the 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 invitation from Christ is always in the present. And when Christ comes on the scene right here in verse 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20, when he comes in, the call is not for later. The call is not to for the past and it is not for the future. When he comes, Christ is calling now and his message is follow me to day. So when he comes and he looks at Andrew and he looks at Simon and he looks at James and he looks at John and when he looks at them, what is he saying? He is saying the call the invitation for you is right now. And I think sometimes you and I start to think that we can sit and soak about it. State Fair of Oklahoma started just this past week Growing up, Tucker and I's parents never really did the whole go ride the rides deal. We never went to the Midway. Tucker and I and the rest of our siblings, we'd show up at the fair and mom and dad would take us and we'd go building to building to building to building. And you were the kid, you had to get the bag, you know, and as you had the bag, then you went from booth to booth to booth and you're filling up the bag with all the trinkets and all the junk and all the other stuff. And we just go building to building to building. And in some of those buildings you would come into and there would be a demonstration set up, right? And whether they're selling knives or whether they're cleaning jewelry or they're trying to sell pots and pans or it's some fancy new blender that you just can't go another day without, there's always some type of a kitchen demonstration, And in that kitchen demonstration, there's always a group of chairs right there, and there's somebody behind a microphone, and he's got the mirrors set up, and he's got the microphone set up, and he's given this demonstration of why, why you cannot live another moment without this piece of equipment. You're all tracking with me? If not, you need to get out more often and get away from the midway. And go look at the buildings, okay? And so there's this idea you would sit there. And, and, and inevitably, inevitably, he would start the demonstration. And there'd be a certain number of people that would be there at the beginning of the demonstration. And as he's given the demonstration, other people walk up midway through the presentation. But everybody sitting there is making the decision in their mind. Is it worth the money? Do I need it? Is it really as good as they say it is? Can I really live without it? And more often than not, people are going to make the decision and they're going to mull over whether they are going to do it or not. And when you sit around and you watch as he finishes the demonstration, and he makes a big sell pitch and he tries to come to the close, or he or she, and you sit there and you're watching. And you're watching to see what the other people do. You're watching to see what the other people, how the other people respond. And inevitably, sometimes you may find yourself going, Well, let's think about it and we might come back. <laughs> sometimes we treat Christianity like that. Sometimes we treat Jesus like that. Sometimes we come to the Word of God. Sometimes we come to a morning worship service. Sometimes we come to a Bible study. Sometimes we come to a moment where we're reminded or we're convicted or we're confronted with the Word of God and the mandates of God, and you and I look at it and go, hmm, let me think about this. Let me phone a friend. Let me mull this over, and let me decide later. The problem is, is all throughout Scripture we're reminded to delay or to defer the response to Christ is to decline His invitation. And I'm not saying that's a forever thing. I'm just saying every time that he gives us the invitation, come follow me. And you and I look at him and go, no, we're busy right now. No, we don't have time right now. It's always a decline in the gift that he is offering. And so when Christ calls, it is always in the present. And I'm going to remind you this morning that the present call of Christ is right now for us in this room. It is not for a select group of you. It's not for this section and not for this section. The present call of Christ is real today. And it's not just that he calls in the present, but notice what Jesus also does here in this passage. He calls to the person. If you look at verse 16, what does it say? He says he saw Simon and Andrew. Now, Simon is later, his name is later changed to Peter. You might know that name throughout the Gospels. He's the one with the foot-shaped mouth. He's the one that preached the first sermon. He was the one that thousands and thousands of people responded to. He's the one that denied Christ the the, 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 the night of his arrest. This is the same Peter. But what does Jesus come? Jesus goes to the person. He doesn't shout on the Sea of Galilee, Everybody that wants to come with me, come on and then waits to see who signs up Jesus goes to the person verse 16 he goes to Simon and Andrew you get down to verse 19 and he goes to James or James and John he goes to the individual in other words what Mark is wanting you and I to see out of this is that Jesus is calling a person Jesus is calling you Three years ago, my family and I, we moved to Wellston, and I'm up at Bev's, and I'm at the gas station, and I'm at the pump. Somebody was a couple of pumps over that I hadn't seen in 15 years. As I'm sitting there, and I recognize that person, that person looks in my direction, and they wave, and I wave back, and then that person says something, and because of My hard hearing, I didn't quite understand what they said. So I was getting ready to step forward and ask them to repeat what they said. And just about that time, the people behind me, on the other side of the pump, answered. And what I really quickly understood was that person was not talking to me. You've been there before. It's an awkward place to be. It's an it's a, it's a uncomfortable place to be because I, I suddenly realized that individual was not waving at me and I'm. Ah. That individual is not waving at me. That individual is not talking to me. The individual is talking to people behind me. But for whatever reason, I thought they were talking to me. And then you know how you have that feeling when you realize they weren't talking to you? And how cool you may think you are, you still got that feeling inside like, now I'm embarrassed. I'm a loser. I'm going to go eat ice cream now and medicate. But you know when it comes to the things of Jesus Christ that's not the way that he comes to us. Jesus doesn't come in the gospel. Jesus doesn't come in his word. Jesus doesn't come into your life and is talking to the people behind you. He doesn't come and he talks to the people beside you. He doesn't come and talk to the people in front of you. When Jesus comes and he issues the call, he issues the invitation, it is to you. Now, there may be some people that may say, Oh, Spence, you don't understand. See, Jesus isn't going to come and call me because he does, because you don't know who I am. You don't know how bad of a person I am. Oh, no, Jesus knows who he is calling. Jesus is fully aware of who he is calling. Sometimes we think, oh, I got to be put together. I got to be cleaned up. I got to stop this. I got to start that. There is no way that I can get my carcass back in church until I change myself. I'm going to tell you right now there is none of us that are worth being in the presence of God. Apart from Jesus Christ, there is not a single one of us that got clean enough to merit being in the presence of God. There is not a single one of us that was good enough, perfect enough, or had it all together. Every single one of us have our own share of skeletons that Christ sees and knows and still says, I love you. Oh, Jesus knows who he's calling and Jesus knows where he is calling. These disciples, they are, they are sitting there and they're not even actually classified as disciples yet. These men are sitting there on the, si- on the side of the, the Sea of Galilee and they're fishermen. And in that time and in that context of fishermen, they weren't the white collar kind of guys. They weren't the highfalutin kind of guys. They weren't the silver spoon kind of guys. These weren't the guys that were high up on the society ranks. These were the blue collars. These were the laborers. These were some of the the lower class of individuals, and, and they weren't really thought about well. And so these men are sitting there, and it says James and John are in the boat in their nets. It says Adam or it says Simon and Andrew are sitting there casting their net. But these guys are just at work. They're just minding their own business. And here comes this man Jesus, and he says, "Follow me." And they may say, "Well, I'm not in the synagogue. You don't have to be in the synagogue." Well, I'm not under the studying of the rabbi. You don't have to be under the study of the rabbi. Well, I don't know everything else that someone else knows. It's not a matter of what you know. Well, I don't live in the right place. I don't go to the right school. I don't have the right last name. I'm not in the right job. And we make all these excuses, and we forget that when Christ comes and calls us, he calls us with who we are and where we are. And I need to remind you this morning that this call is still relevant to you and I today. We see in the Gospel of Mark as he is presenting the picture of who Jesus is. And he, he gives us this picture of this call. But this call, this call is still effectual for you and I today. It says in Romans chapter 10, and listen to how Paul puts it. He says, starting in verse 9, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It is not for a select group of people. It is not for a a certain color of hair of people. It's not for a certain intelligence of people. It's not whether you drive a Ford or drive a Chevy. Everybody knows the Chevys are safe. It's not a matter of where you're at in life. The question is, do you believe that Jesus is the Lord? And he, says, he goes on in verse 10. Paul says, For what the heart one believes in is justified, and what the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame.' For there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So it doesn't... It's not about... Yesterday. It's not about last week. It's not about this morning. It's about right now. Jesus is calling you. How will you respond? So he calls, he calls in the present. He calls to the person. But thirdly, I want you to see that he calls for a purpose. Now your translations might be a little different, but here in these 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20, these, these verses right here I have a red-letter Bible, so what it does is the translators try to identify the exact quotes of Christ and put them in red. So your Bibles may be a little different, but here in this red-letter edition, there are 11 words that are recorded put in red, meaning this is supposed to be a direct quote from Jesus. So in all of the rest of the words that are located in this passage, there are 11 words that are singled out as to be direct quotes from Jesus. And within these 11 words, I want to just zero in, just zoom in for a moment on... Specifically, three words that show us the purpose that Christ has in calling us. So you look there this starts in verse 17 and it says and Jesus said to them and then there's a quote that is given from the gospel of Mark he says follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Now zero in for the sake of time I want you to just think about this purpose that Christ has for calling you. Does he call you just so you can make a head decision and now you have fire insurance and now you can say I am good. No he calls you for a purpose you see this displayed in these three words and I will i want you to think with me for a few moments about these three words jesus looks at him and says follow me and I will the idea of and right there in that sentence means that there's something that is going to follow There is something else that is coming. It's not just a matter of follow me, make a decision, walk an aisle, say a prayer, go get wet, oh, say I'm a Christian, buy a Bible, go to church, put your name on a church rolls. It's not just a matter of going through the motions. There is something else that comes with being a follower of Jesus Christ. Oh, we have plenty of men and women and boys and girls in the church today that say they're a Christian but don't live like they're a Christian. And so what Jesus says, it says, follow me and there will be something that will come. And so he says, and, They idea that something follows. So you make a decision this morning and you may say, this morning, Spence, I decide that I am going to follow after Jesus. No. please know that that then requires you to follow Jesus. Simply saying, I'm going to follow Jesus, doesn't, require, doesn't then lend itself for us following Jesus. Jesus looks at these four men and he says, follow me. And what does the Bible say? The Bible said they dropped everything immediately, they left everything, and they followed Jesus him. It's this idea that there was a change. There was a difference in direction. They realized that following Jesus was not something intellectual. Following Jesus was not something that was mental. Following Jesus was not something they put out on social media. Following Jesus was something they did with their lives. He says, and there's something that's followed. And I I, who is Jesus talking about? Jesus is talking about himself. That doesn't mean, it does not equal that I there in the text, does not equal you or me. We are living in a culture, we're living in a context and and a time today where each of us want to be our own hero. We want to be our own savior. We want to be our own messiah. We want to be our own answer. We want to be the hero of the story. We want to be the one that has it all together. The one that has all the answers. And Jesus doesn't look at these four disciples and says, and you will become fishers of men. He doesn't look at them and say, and you will do this to yourself or that you will earn this yourself or because of your intelligence, or because of your ideas or because your creativity. No, Jesus looks at them and says, and I will make you fishers of men. This isn't a matter of a denomination. This isn't a matter of a Sunday school teacher. This isn't a matter of your, your grandma or your mama. This is a matter of what Christ is doing in and through us. We have plenty of people today that think they're self-made people. I earned this. I did that. I accomplished this. I built that. I, I, I. And one of the dangers of social media is that the focus of social media is on the individual. And the goal of social media is to platform yourself. You get to get on there and show the very best side of yourself. And, and nobody knows the difference. And, and there's always a danger there of you and I are making too much of a thing about us. You know, One of the reasons why we have or we seek to have a multiple set of voices and faces serving in this church is because this church is not about one single person. We all have giftings. We all have things that we do well, things that we don't do as well as someone else. Every single one of us is a part of the body of Christ. And so one of the things we do is we want there to be an opportunity for other people to serve and other people to be involved. Because it should be, it should be that this body of believers is not about a one person, a mortal person. This whole body of believers should be about one person, that is Jesus Christ. Christ. And so it doesn't matter whether it's me up here behind this platform opening God's word or, or Van up here or Greg up here or Jimmy up here or Adam up here or someone else that's up here opening God's word. It should be a matter that we come in here. We understand that this is not about us. This is not about a person. This is about Jesus. So he says here in the text, and I I, I, Jesus Christ, I am part of the Trinity, the second part of the Trinity. The creator is then able to define the purpose of that which has been created. So he says there in verse 17, And I will. And it denotes a willingness God to use us. It denotes a willingness of God to use me. It denotes a willingness of God to use you. It denotes a willingness of God to use this imperfect body at Wellston. It denotes the idea that even though God in his sovereignty and even though God in his omnipotence, he does not need you and I. There is a doctrine about God called the doctrine of aseity. Aseity simply means that God is other than. God is not dependent upon anyone or anything or any, any word that you can put after any. He's not dependent upon anything. To exist, and it talks about the aseity of God. Now, there is not a single one of us in this room that the assayity could be said about us. Why? Because you need oxygen. You'll need some water eventually. You'll probably need some food. You'll need some sleep. And you need relationship with other people. And you need to have a right relationship with God. There, there are several things that are just necessities in life. But when you think about it, God doesn't need any of those things. God doesn't need any of us. And yet here in the text, Christ, the second part of the Trinity, is saying, and I will. You might write down on the side of your notes or maybe in the margin of your Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 21. In 2 Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy and he encourages Timothy. He says, listen, in a house there's vessels. There's both golden vessels and there's wooden vessels and there's clay vessels. And make sure when it comes to our walk with the Lord, make sure that we are the most useful. We are the best. We are the most presentable vessels we can be. Not because the value is found in. In the vessel as much as the value is found in what is put in the vessel and how the vessel is used. So he says, and I will. And brothers and sisters, friends, that's the purpose that he is calling us to. That's the purpose that he has, for some of you, has called you to in the past. That is, for some of you, the purpose that he is calling you to this morning. He is calling you to a purpose. And he's calling you to a purpose for you to submit, for you to surrender, and for you to turn and let him use you. Sometimes we come into church, we come into this Christian life, We say, oh God, I'll be here on a Sunday morning, but Mondays are my day. Oh God, I'll be here on a Sunday night, but Tuesdays are my day. And we put up boundaries and we put up walls saying, this is how God can use us and how God can't use us. And here in the text, when Jesus comes and he calls these disciples, he doesn't tell them what's going to happen for the next three years. He he doesn't tell them what's going to happen eventually in Jerusalem as he's being put on trial. He doesn't tell them about them all scattering while he is being crucified on the cross. He doesn't tell them about then 40 days after he is resurrected and walks on the earth and he will back, ascend back to the hand of the Father and they will spend 10 days in prayer and after those 10 days in prayer and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit will fall upon them and you'll have the Sermon of Pentecost and boom, the church will be off to the races. He doesn't tell them any of that. He doesn't tell them that Andrew... And Simon and James will die as a martyr for the faith. He doesn't tell them where their next meal will come from. He doesn't tell them how they're going to pay their bills. He doesn't tell them about what they're going to tell their family and their loved ones. He doesn't tell them where they're going to sleep at tonight. He says, come And follow me. I think too many times it's been true about my life. And it might be true about your life. That I'm willing to follow as long as I have all the answers. I'm willing to follow as long as I have full direction. I'm willing to follow as long as I feel confident and comfortable about where we are going. But the call that Christ gives us. Is when we recognize our sin. And we recognize the gravity of our sin. And we recognize that God has sent His Son to pay the price for our sin. And we recognize that our greatest need is a right relationship with God. And that Christ is the means and the way that we go to God. Then it doesn't matter where we're going to sleep at tonight. It doesn't matter where the next meal is going to be. It doesn't matter how we're going to pay our bills. All that matters is is that we are following Jesus. So how do we take a passage like this and apply it to our daily lives? We've been looking at this idea of how do we take this, what Mark is giving us is a picture and a a series of, uh, of images, pieces if you will, the story of Jesus. And how we then take it then and apply it in the regular everyday scenario. And so we've been trying every single morning, every single Sunday morning asking the question, how does this then apply in our homes? How does this apply in our witness, our personal witness? And then how does this apply in our evangelism? And so three ways, just some point of application that I want you to consider and then we'll bring this to a close. When we think about our homes and we think about how does this apply, the call of Christ upon our lives, how does this then work itself out in our homes? And I would remind you this morning that every home is a garden. Every home is in a garden. Here's the analogy. Some of you, like me, have really good intentions in January. And we get really excited in February. And we're pumped up and we are looking through the seed catalog and we are waiting for the greenhouse to open. And we have all of these big dreams and all these big plans of raised beds and in-ground beds and and greenhouses and hoop houses and all this stuff. This will be the year we're going to be self-sufficient. This will be the year that we're going to can like crazy. This is going to be the year. And then June (laughs) comes around. It's hot. It's uncomfortable. And little by little, those weeds start to poke their heads up. And little by little and a lot by lot, you and I start getting, well, not you. I, I, I start getting lazy. And then by the end of July and going into August, you have a hard time trying to discern what is the vegetable and what is the Johnson grass. How does that happen? Well, how does that happen is when we think about our lives being a garden, It has it, there's a series of inputs that come into that. It's not just a matter of what you plant, because many of us are really good at the beginning of the year of planting the right thing. It's not just a matter about watering, because many of the times we start off and, well, we're just watering really well, and everything's going great. It's not just a matter of planting or watering, but it's also a matter of what you are tending. Are you keeping those weeds out of the garden Are you keeping those areas of disobedience out of your life? Are you keeping short account with God the same way that you're keeping a short account with the weeds and the pests and the insects that seem to try to continually infest your garden? It's a matter of what you plant. It's a matter of what you water. It's a matter of what you tend. It's a matter of what you feed. So we think about our home as a garden. If we plant godlessness in our home, then why should we be surprised if it produces godlessness. If we plant disobedience in our homes, then why should we be surprised when it produces disobedience? If we plant holiness, but we don't tend, and then we let disobedience then inflict and infect, why are we surprised when we're not reaping holiness? Our homes are garden. Zoom out a little bit. Every person is a reflection. Every person is a reflection. I'm a reflection of what, Spence? You're a reflection of your priorities and your desires. You're a reflection of the things that matter to you. You're a reflection of what you pursue after. You're a reflection of the environment that you are a part of. I was driving the school bus Friday afternoon, and this poor, wayward young lady comes to the bus to load the bus with a crimson and cream jersey on. And I felt so sorry for this lady. This young lady, she didn't know any better. And obviously her parents didn't have enough sense to put her in orange and black. And it was like the fact that nobody cared enough about her all day long to say, Sweetheart, you little young lady, why are you dressed up as a Halloween costume? And here she was getting on the bus. Bright white lettering Sooners. She's a reflection. She was a reflection. And I mean that tongue in cheek and I mean that lightheartedness, but in all seriousness, people watch you, people look at you, people listen to you, and they'll know that they will soon know what matters to you. So it's not just that every home is a garden, it's not just that every person's a reflection, but this last one and we're done. Every day is an opportunity. Every day is an opportunity, an opportunity for one Spence. Every day is an opportunity to tell people about. Jesus, do you realize that this whole idea of being an evangelical is not something that has historically or traditionally been widely practiced? The idea that we are considered to be evangelical means that we believe that Jesus has gave us a message. Jesus has gave us a gospel. Jesus has gave us a model example that we are to then proclaim to other people. There are other denominations. There's other religious traditions out there that don't think there's any need to go and to tell people. They think, let the people come to us but because Jesus went to Simon and Andrew and James and John and because Jesus comes to us we have an opportunity every single day to tell other people of what Jesus can do for them it's an opportunity for who we are in Christ to be what we pursue and practice Proclaim. So what's your answer? Jesus comes to the men in verse 17 and he says, follow me. What's your answer? It says in verse 18, and immediately they left their nets. Verse 20, and immediately he called to them and they left their father. He called, they answered. This morning, Christ is calling you. What is your answer? You bow your heads with me. Thank you for joining us today at FBC Wellston. We we'll would love to hear from you or connect with you. If you will visit our website at fbcwelston.org. Please let us know if we can serve you in any way, and we look forward to connecting with you in the future.